All right, open your Bibles once again to Romans chapter 7. Well, as you probably know by now, uh, Paul has been giving a lengthy statement concerning the law and how it had revealed to him the sin that is within him. Looking at, at, at the holy perfect moral law of God caused Paul to see that he fell way short of its perfection. And of course, as you know, hopefully, that is one of the reasons, that is one of the purposes for the law, is to help us to see our sin. So many people, as you probably know, just like Paul, uh, just like Paul did, I should say, before he came to faith in Christ, many people feel that they're actually pretty good people. Overall, they may feel that, you know, they probably obey most of the laws of God, especially when all they do is compare themselves to somebody else. But when you actually look at your actions, when you look at your speech, when you look at your thoughts, your overall lifestyle, and you put that side by side with the holy standards of God, your eyes will be quickly opened. And this, of course, is what happened to Paul as a Jew, Paul as a, as a Pharisee, when he finally internalized the law instead of living you know, with an external conformity. He was actually awakened. He finally realized in his own heart that he was not even close to being worthy. And so what Paul is doing right now in our study of chapter 7 is he's taking this personal testimony about his own life, his own struggle, his own coming to understanding of the law, and he's sharing it with the church in Rome. More specifically, sharing it with the Jews in the church in Rome, but to help them see what the role of the law is. You see, Paul had this feeling, as if you remember, he had this feeling that, you know, there's probably many Jewish believers in the church who might be a little puzzled about what the law was for, since Paul had stated earlier in this letter that they themselves were not under the law. He also stated that there has never been a person ever who has been declared righteous by observing the law. So what he does in the second half here of chapter 7, all the way till the end of the chapter, he's not only telling them what the role of the law is, but he's doing so in the form of his own personal testimony. Some of it early on was before he came to faith in Christ, and now in our text we're dealing with him even as a believer where he still talks about this. Now earlier in chapter 7, verse 7, helping them to see that the law was God's perfect standard to help us to see our sin. Paul said, he said, I would not have known what sin even was except through the law. I would not have even known what coveting was if the law had not told me do not covet. He's saying here that the law is the means of disclosing, or it's the means of revealing our sin. You see, folks, the law requires, as you know, perfect obedience, which you and I are incapable of. 
So because God, if you will, in the law has disclosed his divine standards of righteousness, men are able to more accurately identify our sin, which, of course, is the failure to keep those holy standards. In addition to that, he also stated in verse 5 and verse 8, as well as in verse 9, that our sinful passions are actually aroused by the law. Literally, the sinfulness inside every one of us doesn't necessarily like being told what to do. It doesn't like being told that's not good enough. You might say it is the law that stirs up sin within us. It stimulates the sin within us to actually violate the very commands that God has given us. Matter of fact, Paul said in verse 8, he said that sin, meaning the sin within us, hearing the law, do not covet. He was talking about that specific law at that point. He said the uh, sin, hearing the law, do not covet, it produced in him every kind of covetous desire. Did you catch that? The sin within him, hearing the truth of the law, it happened to be do not covet. Now he says, now I have every desire to covet because of that sin within us. Now, with making these kinds of statements, Paul wanted to make sure there was absolutely no misunderstanding and that the law itself, he wanted to point out, the law itself is not sin. The law itself does not cause sin. Matter of fact, he made it very clear in verse 12, he said the law is holy, it's righteous, the law is good. Verse 14, he said the law is spiritual, meaning simply that the law is from God. The law is God's holy standard, which, by the way, thus reveals God's nature. And, of course, it's also his desire for his people. And therefore, Paul says, here is the problem. Here's the problem. Still in verse 14, he said the law is spiritual, but what did he say? I am unspiritual. The law is spiritual. The law is from God. The law is great. It's holy and righteous. There's no problem with the law of God. The problem, he says, is I am unspiritual, he says, sold as a slave to sin. So Paul here says the problem was him. The problem was the sin within him. But in other words, it was the law that exposed it. See? As he will explain throughout the remainder of this chapter, even though Paul was a very faithful man, as we've all studied God's word before, obviously, Paul's a very faithful man. He lived a very sacrificial life. Christ himself chose him on the road to Damascus to be his apostle. Paul let us know that there is still a remnant of sinfulness that is within him, and it was the law that actually uncovered that. Okay? Speaking on that sinfulness within him, he said in verse 15, Paul said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So even though Paul desired to honor God, to faithfully obey his holy standards, when he put that up, against, 
if you will, side by side with the law, the perfect law of God, you know what he found out? He found out that he could not stand up to the perfection of God's law. Couldn't do it. Even though he desired to and he wanted to, that life could not stand up to the perfect law of God. In verse 16, he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, he says, you know what? I agree that the law is good. And so Paul is saying here that even when I fail, even when I violate those very commands of God, he says, I want you to know the law is still good. His failures, Paul is saying, had nothing to do with the law. The law was doing what it was meant to do, and that is to reveal sin, and ultimately, therefore, lead us to Christ, who is the Savior. It's just doing what it was meant to do. Now, as we pick up and we move into verse 17, Paul's going to continue with this, okay, and he's going to continue to share his personal struggle with sin. Read with me verses 17 through 20. He says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So as you can see here by, by, by reading this, Paul brings forth kind of what I would call a divided concept. Okay, What he desires in his heart versus the sin that is living within him. So he begins here in verse 17, and you'll notice that he separates I myself from the sin living within me, right? He separates those two things. Now, based on what verse 15 said, Paul himself said, I don't understand this, okay? He said, I don't understand it. It's like Paul himself, he said, I, I'm puzzled. Now, in the Greek, I want you to know that this reads, what I am producing, I don't know. That's what it means in the Greek. What I am producing, what's coming out of me, he says, I, I don't know. It's kind of similar to that five-year-old, and some of you who obviously know this, it's that five-year-old who literally gives an honest answer to the parents when he does something wrong, right? Mom or dad says, do not do this. They told you three times, and yet the child does it. And what does he say? Why did you do that? The answer is, I don't know. That's a truthful, honest answer. Mom and dad told me, do not do this. And I did it. Anyway, why'd you do it? I, I, I don't know. There's a little bit of truth to that going on. It, the younger you are, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I had to do it. See? It's that same concept. So back to Paul, when he says, the I wants to do what is right, they, Paul wants to honor God, yet 
what he hates, sometimes he ends up doing. And it's not just for the five-year-old. Sometimes it still kicks in, even with the Apostle Paul. So there's, there's this battle, he's saying, with, with two different identities, not just in Paul, but within the believer. Okay? Paul sees what is written in God's law. And as we already discussed, he recognizes it's holy. It is righteous. It is good. And Paul says, I want to follow it. I want to live by God's standards. But there's something else that produces a rebellion within him. And he responds by revolting against the very holy standards of God himself. How many times have any one of us done something that might have been wrong or sinful and we're convicted of that and you're kind of literally sitting there, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? Not only do you know better, you, 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 will, you don't want to live that way. You teach your children don't do that or don't say that or whatever the situation may be, but yet you found yourself doing it. I think of Galatians chapter 5 where, where Paul speaks of walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. You might remember that text. In verse 17 in Galatians 5, he says, the sinful nature, this is what Paul's talking about here as well, right? Paul says, in the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. He says, listen, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. <laughs> it's like we should bring that verse right over here to Romans, isn't it? They're in conflict with one another. You don't do what you want. It's almost like, by the way, if you continue in that text in Galatians 5, you'll run into that section where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, Right? But it's almost, it's almost like you, you desire in your heart, you want the fruit of the Spirit of God coming out of your life, right? You want to be seen with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You want those things coming out of you, but yet something else rears its ugly head. That is totally contradictory. You desire it, you want it, you know it, you studied it, and yet somehow something else totally opposite comes out. Like Paul, the Bible teaches us that we have two natures. We obviously have a sinful nature. Paul talks about it right here. He also talks about it in Galatians. But we have a sinful nature that we received at birth, didn't we? We were born in sin. We, we inherited that from Adam, right? Nobody taught us to sin. We already knew how to do that. But we also have now, we also have a new nature, don't we? We also have what's called a divine nature. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us about that. We are now partakers of the divine nature as believers in Christ. We received that at the time of our salvation. Okay? Both of those natures, if you will, have desires. One has a nature, one has a desire to do, to do sin or to do evil. The other desires holiness. And therefore, that's why Paul said in Galatians 5.17, he says they're in conflict with each other. Just within the same person, they're in conflict with each other. 
Because of that conflict, Paul says, there are going to be times when I, I, like all of us here, I I don't do what I want to do, he says. In other words, the Spirit of God often halts what our sin nature wants to do. We're thankful for that. But sometimes the opposite is true as well. Sometimes our sinful desires will literally override the prodding of God's Holy Spirit for us. We know what we ought to do. We know what the truth is. But we go against it. That's the conflict that he's talking about. Many times, as Christians, like Paul is telling us back here in Romans 7, we want to do the right thing. Hopefully more times than not, right? We want to do, the more we grow, the more we mature, we'll be doing that more, more often than not. But at the exact same time, we begin to battle with our sin nature. We make excuses, don't we? We begin to justify things. How many of you said, well, you know what? Man, I, I really would like to do this. I really want to see this. I really want to be here or go to that or whatever the thing may be. But instantly in your mind, it comes up. No, that's not good. As a believer in Christ, I shouldn't go there, be there, see that, whatever it may be. And yet instantly, you, you know there's a battle. And then you instantly begin to start thinking, well, I guess it's not that bad, Right? I'm pretty faithful, right? And if I do it, it's not like I'm living in sin. Anyway, are you, anybody ever go through that? We sit here and battle ourselves in our minds. We know what we ought to do, but we also find ourselves beginning to justify, beginning to make excuses in these areas. We've all, I'm sure we've all done that. And as Paul said of himself, there are times when sin wins if you will. And as a side note, by the way, that's why we are commanded to confess our sins. That's why we're also commanded to repent of our sins. Those are two different things, by the way. But we're not commanded to go, ah, bummer. We confess those sins. Come before God, openly, verbally, tell the Lord, I have failed. Talk to God. And then repent of it. Repentance is the verb. Repentance is the action. Repentance is the, I'm not going to do that anymore. One is confessing it. One is no go. See, those are two different things. But we're commanded to do those things. The reason we're commanded is because God himself knows that we're going to fall short. Okay? Now moving forward, he says, in verse 18, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, Paul says, but he says I cannot carry it out. Now, folks, please understand that when you read that, he's not talking about a constant life of sin. Why do I say that? Because there are some people out there who believe that based upon what Paul is saying in this verse, that somehow Paul lived a corrupt life. There's no good that lives in me. I want to do what's right, but I never do. It's kind of like they have that kind of mindset. There are people who believe that. Matter of fact, there are some who who will read this and think that Paul may have been dominated by sin. And therefore, guess what? Must be no big deal. They can do that also in their lives, thinking it's all good, it's all normal. I mean, even Paul lived that way. 
Once again, we look for excuses. We look for excuses to sin. But of course, all that contradicts the very word of God. It contradicts the entire New Testament as a whole. Certainly if you're reading the book of 1 John, but it, it contradicts the New Testament as a whole because it lays aside the fact that we are redeemed new creations in Christ. We're going back to verse 18. Notice Paul makes sure, he makes sure that they understand what he's saying. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Or some of you might have the translation, my flesh. So two things. Number one, when he says nothing good lives in me, you notice he instantly qualified that. Okay? He instantly qualified that. Otherwise, it might sound like he's, 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 he's conflicting when he, you know, he says he knows that we have a divine nature that we partake in. He also knows that we have the Spirit of God who lives where? In us, indwells us. So he, he, he qualifies the statement, nothing good lives in me. Well, I, I mean in my sinful nature. See? If one says nothing good lives in me, it comes across almost as if being, being born again, there makes no change in our life, right? Or has no effect in our lives. We're no different than our old unredeemed self. But that's why he qualified it. He said, well, hold on just a second. Paul may not have had an eraser like we did today. He just said, well, that is, what I mean is, in my sinful nature. But as I mentioned earlier, folks, he separates his sin nature from his honorable desires. Okay? You can see that in the second half of the verse. Second half of verse 18, he says, For I have the desire. The word desire and will are the same thing. I have the desire, I have the will to do what is good. But I, but I, sometimes I just can't carry it out, he says. So his will, or if you will, his desire, he's saying, is in agreement with the law of God. He agrees to do these things and to not do these things. Is, is, I'm in agreement. That is what is right. That is what is holy. That is from God. That is what ought to be done. That is how I should live. Paul agrees with that. As a lover of this truth, it is his intent to follow this life with obedience to honor it, to respect it, to submit to it. But yet he closes in verse 18 saying, I, I, I cannot carry it out. Now listen, folks, when he says in verse 17, it's the sin living in me, when he says in verse 18, it's my sin nature, please understand that he is not casting aside responsibility. Hey, man, I can't, I can't carry it out. It's not my fault. He's not saying that. He's not casting aside responsibility. He certainly is not blaming it on the law. We, he's already talked about that. He's made that very clear in verse 12, verse 14, and verse 16. The law is good. The law is not the problem. How can a, how can a perfect, moral, holy, righteous law from God himself be the problem? That would make no sense anyway. 
So when he states here that he cannot seem to carry out the good he wants to do, okay, which, by the way, would simply mean he wants to honor and live by the holy standards of God, okay, he's saying, it's not an issue with my will. His desire is to make it happen. But as verse 17 says, it's the sin, notice he says, living in me. It's the sin or the sin nature some people call it the sin principle, living in me. Folks, Paul is stating really the same thing for all of us. Paul is an impaired person. So are we. He doesn't live in sin, but sin lives in him. Did you catch that? Paul does not live in sin. Sin doesn't dominate his life, but sin lives in him. It's a struggle, folks, that every one of us will have until the redemption of our bodies. Our hearts, our minds want to take in God's perfect law. We do. We want to honor that in every way. While at the very same time, our sin nature wants to push back against that same moral law and use it for dishonor. Because you, are, you do know that when we, when we sin against God, when we transgress His commandments, that's basically saying no And that's dishonoring God. I'm a believer in Christ. I follow the Lord. But when I fail to do A, B, or C, or D, or whatever it may be, that dishonors God, especially with the one who says, yeah, I'm a believer. Right? Because ultimately, we all know that sin is telling God, no, I want to do it my way. That's what it ultimately is. I use those words on purpose because it's convicting to us all. Sin is telling God, no, I want to do it my way. There's no argument with that because that is reality. Continuing in verse 19, now here he's just really, he's just repeating himself here using different words, okay? He says in verse 19, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Folks, Paul knew that he was no longer a slave to sin. He knew that. Yet it, or meaning sin, still expressed itself through him when he says, I, I, the things I do, I don't desire to do. Now, even though he said there was good, there was good that he wanted to do, right? He said that. There, the good, I want to do that. He says, but I kept doing otherwise. Now listen, folks, he's not saying that he was totally powerless to fulfill that. He's not saying, I just can't do it. I can't do anything in God's law. I can't hold to any moral standards. I can't, I can't, I can't. He's not saying that, okay? But what he is saying here, that he is unable to completely fulfill the requirements of a holy law. It doesn't mean that Paul, you know, I can't do this. Of course he can. Many of us have fulfilled many of God's laws. We don't live that way. We don't live our lives committing adultery. We don't covet our neighbor's wife. We don't steal things. We don't do the, you know, many things you can go through. But so when Paul says, I just can't live up to that standard, he wants to. He's not saying, I just fail everything. He's saying, I cannot completely live up to that standard, no matter how much I want to do it. Remember, folks, it's the holy standard of God. Now, in stating this, 
Paul is also not trying to show the power of sin. Okay? It's important we see that too. He's not trying to show the power of sin, but the power of the law, which what does it do? It uncovers it, doesn't it? Exposes it. There's no question, folks, that the sin nature is strong. Everybody here knows that. If it wasn't, Paul would have already written and said, yep, every time that sin rears its ugly head, I just defeat it every time. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Because the sin nature is strong. But as we can see, that that's not the case. That's not where he's getting into. Okay? Therefore, it's important that we understand the power and authority, listen, of God's perfect and holy word. As you know, folks, the law of God is the word of God, is it not? Of course it is. We don't want to forget that. We don't just want to picture in our mind the law of God as, as if you know, you're a Jewish person living under the Old Testament. We're talking about God's moral standards, which never changes because God's nature, his character, his essence never changes. All right? God doesn't say, yep, under the Old Testament, you can't lie. But yeah, go ahead. You can lie now. It's fine. Of course not. That that's, doesn't happen because God's the same. His moral standards are the same. So we must understand, this is important, that the power and the authority, there is there in God's holy word. Listen, folks, there is nothing higher than that. There is nothing greater than that. There is nothing more majestic in that more than the word of God. Because of what it is, because of what Scripture is, the standard is so high. It draws out every single bit of sin and rebellion within you and me. As it is above what we can fulfill. Do you ever contemplate that? It's like it's us versus the holy law of God. You can't get higher. You can't get holier. You can't get more perfect than that. It's above more than what we can fulfill. Let me share with you a few scriptures that share this. They're all Old Testament scriptures. Psalm 19, many of us know this. Seth went through some of these when he was teaching. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Right? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord are radiant. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. You're not going to say that about anything else. Matter of fact, he ends it by saying, all together, it's more precious than gold. See? In 2 Chronicles 31, verse 4, he speaks on devoting yourselves a devotion to, he says, the law of the Lord. Because that's the standard, isn't it? That's the standard. It's the highest standard. It's the holy standard. Therefore, devote yourself to it. Ezra, in chapter 7, verse 10, speaking of himself, he says he was to study and observe and to teach the law of God. He didn't say teach the traditions he didn't say to teach what makes you feel good. He is to study it, he is to observe it, and he is to teach the law of God. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3, it says, They stood and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, for it says, quote, a quarter of the day. 
If you want to know how they felt about the highest standard there can be, the, the, the word, the law of God, a quarter of the day. <laughs> we could barely get people to come if it doesn't rain to come to hear a sermon that's 45 minutes. Finally, in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2, many of you might know this, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of mockers. But guess what? But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in it, what does he do? He meditates day and night. I mentioned this before. God gives us his holy standard, says, I want you to live like this, knowing that we can't, those holy standards, we can't live up to that. But he's not going to lower them. He's not. Why did I give you these few scriptures about the law of the Lord? Folks, because there is no competition out there. There is no other standard. There is no other book. There is no higher authority. Because the law of the Lord is the very word of God and therefore coming from the very essence, the very nature, there is nothing greater. And that's why God says, that's my standard, because it comes from me. See? You cannot put the nature of man up against that and not expect there to be failure. Not as an excuse for failure, but you know there's going to be failure. You can't put us against the holy law of God and, and think, oh, I'm going to be just perfect. That would be great, but it doesn't work that way. I don't desire us to fail. I don't desire us to fall short. That would be ludicrous to think that because we will fail. But as you know, that's why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his standards are perfect, we are not. We will fail, and we will fail, and we will fail. Because we cannot, as much as we want. Even Paul says, I, I, I want to do that. And I catch myself not doing it. We praise God that he, he saved us. Because when we fail, we deserve death, spiritual death. Christ says, I'll take care of it. That's why. As we close this morning... In verse 20, he repeats his overall theme of these verses. He says, Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Folks, there was a time in Paul's life, just like with every one of us here, where the sin that we committed is because we wanted to. People used to ask me when I was a non-believer, why, why do you do those things? Because I like it. I was honest. I liked it. I enjoyed it. What do you want me to tell you? See? The evil that we engaged in, we wanted to do it. Sin owned me. Sin owned you. Because we were its slave. There was a time that we were like that. But like Paul, every one of us must realize that even though that desire is no more, the nature is still hanging around. 
If it wasn't, you wouldn't sin. Is that an excuse to sin? No, not at all. We just need to realize that within us is a continual, uh, a perpetual contradiction. Within us is a perpetual contradiction. There are two principles that are living within us that are competitors, if you will. I may use that term. Therefore, what do we do? We need to feed, we need to nurture the one that honors God. It's simple as that. We have to feed it. We have to nurture it. We already know, as Paul said earlier in verse 6, Paul said, we now live, what, in a new way. We serve in a new way of the Spirit, right? He says, we don't live under the law anymore. The Spirit of God lives within us. He indwells us. That's how we live, right? But we also must recognize We must give, you've heard me say this before, but it's very important. We must give the Spirit of God something to work with. And that is the Word of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God work together. You cannot just sit around not studying the Word, not coming to a Bible study, not doing these kinds of things, and just assume God's Spirit will just take care of business within you. You've already failed if you think that. I've talked about many times, you're not going to pray every day, God sanctify me, and you'll wake up sanctified. He's going to use His Word. The Spirit of God will use His Word. Okay? Remember, folks, there are three enemies of the Christian, right? There's not just one. There's three enemies of the Christian. The world around us, our own flesh or the sinful nature that we talked about, and then, of course, the devil, right? The world, the flesh, the devil. Those are the three enemies of the believer. None of them take breaks. None of them go on vacation. None of them say, I'm busy today. It just keeps going, doesn't it? It keeps going. Folks, this is why, and just as a reminder as we close, this is a reminder to why we at this church, we have a time of prayer on Wednesday nights. This is also why we have a time of studying our Bibles on Wednesday nights. We also have a time of studying our Bibles on Sunday morning. And then, of course, as you know, after that, we get into the Word, which we do now, which is in our Sunday morning service. Okay? And then after that, you have your own personal time in Scripture. There's a reason that we do that. There's a reason we don't focus on 150 different programs But if you come, we're going to study the Word. Wednesday night, Sunday morning, service. Because that's what we need. I don't need to hear something else. I'm not saying it's bad to talk about this, but that's what we need. That's why we do this. Folks, we live in a sinful world that we constantly battle as our enemy. We have our sinful nature. The devil is always on top of it. We must be prepared. And as we put on the full armor of God, as we know that God teaches that, remember this. There was only one offensive weapon. Did you remember that? In God's armor. God's armor. There's just one offensive weapon. What was it? The sword of the Spirit, which is? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. The Word of God. 
That's it. That's what he gives us. The armor of God. Never tells us to take it off. He tells us to put it on. Nowhere does he say, okay, you're done, laid aside. One thing, he gives us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Word. So we can't make excuses by saying, well, you know, Darren, i got my sin nature living within me. It's just what happens. Hey, it happened to the Apostle Paul. And just move on in life. God has given us his spirit to overcome, to empower us. God has given us his word to overcome, to equip us, to teach us, to guide us. We cannot expect things to change with our own sin. We cannot expect to battle the devil. We cannot expect to battle the world. The world gets more sickening and more perverted every single day. I know some of you don't want to watch the news, or I, I typically read it. I get it. I get it. It's just, it's, it's, it's a wow to what goes on. It's just so sickening and perverted. But that's what we're up against every single day. We cannot walk out there thinking, that's fine, I'm above that. Well, I hope you are. But don't forget, Apostle Paul probably thought maybe he was above it too. I, I, when I read about him, I think he was a pretty solid dude. But he struggled. So do we. Let the word God use it. Use it to teach us. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your law. We thank you, Lord, that that law doesn't change in the sense of its morality, its virtue. The holy standards that you have in your own very essence, your own being, has been given to us. This is the way we are to live. This is the way you want us to follow through in life. We thank you, Lord, that to a certain degree, it seems, it seems different for us. You say, be holy because I am holy. We can't do that, but you still command us to do it because therefore we will continue to try and reach it. If you said do this and we could, we would just do it and walk away. But we have to continue to, to pursue that because we know we can't reach it, so we have to continue to pursue it. The standard is that high, it's not low. Lord, help us to overcome the sin within us. Paul never said, I just can't, I can't stop sinning. But he's reminding us of when we put our lives up against the pure and holy law of God, we fail. But not every time. Lord, make it, help us to make it our goal to live, to honor, to respect um, your holiness and therefore our own holiness and to strive You've given us your spirit, and he's not going anywhere. And you've given us your word. We live in a blessed time in this country when we have it in so many different translations. We have notes. We have free things on the internet. It's there at our disposal, God. Help us, teach us through it. In Jesus' name.